Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another podcast, Stand Up For The Truth. We appreciate you guys tuning in, uh, those who are listening live, those who will share this podcast later. Thank you so much. We've got a very important, actually several different topics we're going to tackle today. One, about um, disagreeing with our brothers and sisters in Christ in um, a loving and a patient way instead of being disagreeable. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We're also going to talk about uh, the new Apostolic Reformation and their response to the coronavirus. And also we've got some breaking news uh, to tell you about and share your thoughts or share our thoughts on that as soon as we open in prayer. Um, Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. We have another perspective check today, Lord. And for those of us who need it, please uh, wake us up, Lord. Help us to understand the times and the hour that is late. Um, help us, Lord, to, to walk with you as closely as possible and to keep in step with the Spirit, always setting our hearts and minds on things above. Lord, give us that, that lens through the Scriptures that when we see our world, we see it from your perspective and soften our hearts, Lord, and prevent, help us to not be jaded and uh, let us not become hardened. Let us love others with the truth and speak the truth in love and help us to uh, encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ and not grow weary in doing good. Um, we thank you for this opportunity to talk about some important things today. We pray that you would encourage those who are listening right now who are going through a hard time, whether that be health, uh, financially, family, uh, their job maybe, or maybe just spiritually, a dry time. Lord, bring them back to you and Walk with them right now. Make your presence known to them. We also pray that you'd encourage those who need hope today, a little jolt in their faith. This is a very real faith that we walk in, and we thank you for the truth of Jesus. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And uh, we ask again for wisdom, as we always do, and we lift up this hour to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, want to read something really quick. Well, you know what? I'll wait until I introduce our, our guest today. Um, let's bring her on. Today's guest, Holly Pivik, is back with us. The ministry, a website, Spirit of Error. Uh, she's uh, an evangelical researcher of cults and new religious groups such as the NAR, New Apostolic Reformation Movement. She has a master's degree in Christian apologetics from Biola University in Southern California, where she attended and also worked. And she and her family live in Fairbanks, Alaska, and she's got a book that we talked about last time we had her on. Uh, she's a co-author of A New Apostolic Reformation, A Biblical Response to a Worldwide Movement. And um, she has uh, a couple other books as well. Uh, Holly, good morning. Thanks for getting up with us here on Stand Up for the Truth. Oh, thanks so much, David, for, for having me back on. I'm happy to be here. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, you mentioned um, that your husband is an associate pastor at a church there. And um, it's been different doing online services for a couple months, hasn't it? Oh, it sure has. Um, our church has about 600 people or so, and the pastors have all quickly had to learn how to deliver their sermons online and, and reach out and shepherd people um, differently, much differently than they normally do. So it's definitely been an adjustment and a learning curve. Can I get your honest thoughts? Um, of course, I know you would give us an honest response anyway, but um, I, I saw a recent story saying a survey shows faith can prosper in online services, and I, that is far from the ideal, and I'm not convinced that uh, the body of Christ is being strengthened during this time because we're not around. We have don't have the accountability, most of us don't. We're not around our people of like minded faith, and, and we can't have that encouragement, the fellowship. We can't take communion together. There's so much that we are used to, because church is a gathering, but I know people have grown, maybe some, 
have grown by watching maybe a few more sermons on a Sunday morning. What are your thoughts on this uh, new time and, and the, the growth or lack of growth that maybe you've seen in uh, your neck of the woods or maybe online what you've observed? Well, I definitely agree with you that it's not the same watching sermons online um, because so much of our, our faith is about coming together with other believers and, and encouraging each other. And um, so that being said, I do think people who have been very intentional about uh, finding ways to, to stay in touch with other believers, um, our small group at church uh, met weekly and has been meeting weekly uh, through Zoom sessions. Mm-hmm. And it's not the same, but we have been able to keep up with each other, um, share our lives, our prayer requests, what's going on. And in some ways, I feel like our relationships have have um, grown through this time because um, we've had to be very intentional about mm. reaching out to each other and caring for each other and being aware of each other's needs during this time. So in certain ways, I think when we come through this, you know, we'll, we'll it's kind of like... Um, going, you know, on a small level, going through a battle together or something like that. You feel like you forged some deeper bonds and ties, but but in other ways, I definitely agree with you. It's, it's not the same as, as being together in person. Absolutely. Um, okay, Holly, we're going to shift gears right now um, and talk about something we weren't planning on uh, this morning and in this podcast with you. Um, breaking news, Ravi Zacharias, um, he now is with Jesus. Uh, he went home to be with the Lord. Uh, a lot of you probably listen, if you're listening online right now, to uh, Stand Up For The Truth on Q90FM. You've probably heard his program every Saturday and Sunday morning. He's one of the pastors, one of the sermons we air. And um, it's, it's bittersweet when a Christian graduates from this earth, from this life. It's bittersweet for those that, the rest of us that are here still. But uh, another saint has fought the good fight. He finished the race. He kept the faith. And um, I know there's something I wanted to share about Ravi. And um, well done, first of all, from those of us who know him, have been blessed by his ministry and his defense of the truth and his apologetics ministry. Um, Well done. But this morning he died. And I want to read something. Now, Holly, this is what he, Ravi Zacharias, read on January 4 this year, this happened to have been two months before he was diagnosed with cancer. When it, so let's, let me see here. I'm reading something his daughter wrote just two months after. Yep. So he read this. Uh, this is a uh, stanza from a hymn. Um, the hymn is by Richard Baxter, who lived in the 1600s. Um, Lord, it belongs not to my care whether I die or live, to love and serve thee is my share, and this thy grace must give. If life be long, I will be glad that I may long obey. If short, yet why should I be sad to welcome endless day? Christ leads me through no darker rooms than when he went through, than he went through before. He that unto God's kingdom comes must enter by this door. Come, Lord, come, Lord, when grace hath made me meet thy blessed face to see. For if thy work on earth be sweet, what will thy glory be? Then I shall end my sad complaints and weary sinful days and join with the triumphant saints that sing my Savior's praise. My knowledge of that life is small, the eye of faith is dim, but tis enough that Christ knows all, and I shall be with him. That last stanza is what Ravi Zacharias shared just before learning he had cancer, and he would experience the realization of this uh, more than 300-year-old hymn so soon after he read that, and uh, he is with him. He is with Christ, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Holly, I would just like to get your thoughts on these reminders when Christians, well, when anyone around us dies, when, when even when an unbeliever dies, we think to, of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, when it says it's better to go to a funeral than to a party, better go, to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting, because death is the end of every person, and the living should take this to heart. Holly Pivik, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I just think when a believer expresses that type of faith, um, that strong faith in the face of death and, and that passes that on to others, that's just mm. <laughs> it's really encouraging, beautiful, beautiful thing. The believers I've seen around me as well who have died in the faith and who've had that confidence in God and, and not a fear of dying, but... Um, a joy like Ravi expressed of, of looking forward to, to meeting a savior. And, mm. and, um, wow, that's just, <laughs> that's just really a beautiful thing. Not all people have that type of, of confidence and lack of fear in the face of death. So I think it's just really wonderful that he expressed that in the, in the way he did. It reminds me, um, I'm often reminded of uh, one of my favorite Psalms is uh, at least verses Psalm 90 verse 12 Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And before we get into, I mean, it puts everything we're going to talk about today, Holly, in perspective, because we're going to be talking about just different subjects where the church and where Christians are concerned and our reaction or response to the coronavirus and what's happening in our country and around the world. But I go to the end of 1 Corinthians 15, and um, I'm reminded of this. It's a powerful chapter for those of you that are not familiar with it, it's a, the gospel, the first uh, eight verses, read that, understand the gospel, his appearances, Jesus' appearances after his resurrection, to eyewitnesses who saw him alive, he ate with them, he walked with them, he lived around 40 days here before he ascended to heaven, and then talks about the resurrection body and what will happen after we die and, and why and the mystery of the resurrection. And then toward the end, it says, in a moment... Uh, wait a minute, let me back up. Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And then it goes on to say, Death is swallowed up in victory. And the last two verses in that powerful chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Holly, we're getting a lot of perspective checks, and I think we need them as we are in these last days, and we're seeing some signs of the end times. And I just want to get your thoughts before we jump into this article that you shared um, on your Facebook, um, the end times. We're, we're seeing a lot of signs. Jesus said the beginning of birth pains. What is your view of this coronavirus pandemic? Well, um, um, Jesus definitely did tell us that, you know, we would we would see trials and, and, and troubles uh, before his return. And um, as far as this coronavirus, um, I would... I would, um, I personally would not say that I know enough to directly link it to, uh, the final last days. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do believe that, um, I do believe the area, the area of end times is actually really of interest to me. I grew up with a father who was very interested in the end times and, and studied the end times and, um, and so I have a real interest in that subject matter as well. And I think it's an area that's often neglected, um, mm -hmm. in, in the church. I think, um, many churches, um, people are leery of talking about that subject because there have been so many crazy views and, and conspiracy theories and, and things that, that people have promoted that, um, people have tended to shy away, unfortunately, from the subject. But there's a reason why Jesus talks about the end times. There's so much about the end times in Scripture, signs to be watching out for, for the end times. There's a reason those things are there. And so I think it's a shame that that topic has been neglected um, by a certain segment of, of the Church. Um, um, I even see that in kind of in my circles, and kind of more Christian um, scholarly circles or academic circles, sometimes there's a real tendency, I think, for for people to kind of shy away from that subject matter because it's just seen as kind of kooky or hmm. or crazy. Um, so um, 
I personally um, believe it's something that we're supposed to um, study, like all of Scripture. It's part of a big part of Scripture is, is prophecy, and I even think there's. Um, um, my father really loved studying prophecy because he saw it as a tool for evangelism. You know, um, from what I understand, mm-hmm. the the Bible is one of is probably the only <laughs> sacred book of any religion that has predictive prophecy in it. And um, uh, prophecy predicting, you know, Christ's first coming, prophecy surrounding his second coming. And so I think that's a real tool for evangelism to show people, look, you know, all, way in advance God foresaw these things, and, and they happened just like he said they would. And, and that's actually one of our, our tools for evangelism and apologetics. And so I think it's a, it's a very important topic and, and part of the whole um, whole of Scripture that, that we should not neglect. Well, Bible prophecy is between one-third and one-fourth of the entire Word of God, and yet a majority of churches barely touch on it. It's, it's just astounding to me, and I understand one of the reasons Jesus and you know, the Bible is full of warnings against false prophets. You know, and, and so we understand that. There's a clear warning, and, and we, we, that doesn't mean to avoid anything to do with prophecy, because if you read Revelation, it's the only book that promises a blessing when you read it. This prophecy blesses he who reads it. I think it's, that's in the very first chapter. Um, one thing I was also thinking of, um, you know what? We, we're running out of time in this first segment already, Holly. I want to get to this article. I was going to go on and talk about Luke 21, and but let, let's just jump into this. You shared this, and it's very important because— um, this is from Natasha Crane. It's called How to Disagree Better About COVID-19, Conspiracy Theories, and Pretty Much Everything Else in Life. I'm just going to touch on a couple thoughts here. She said, aside from feeling the fatigue of quarantine in general, I'm feeling the fatigue of people arguing about the quarantine. Now, this includes Christians and unbelievers. Where Sometimes we disagree with other Christians. We have to remember, first of all, there are people on good people on both sides of this Debate and the main debate is is not necessarily how the coronavirus got started. The main debate is how government and our local state governors and leaders are responding to it, and then our reaction in submitting or um, just struggling with some of these shutdown orders. Holly, I'd like to get your thoughts on some points that Natasha Crane made in this great article. Yes, so her article is titled How to Disagree Better About COVID-19, Conspiracy Theories, and Pretty Much Everything Else in Life. (laughs) Uh, She published this May 12th on her blog, uh, ChristianMomThoughts.com, or you can just go there by NatashaCrane.com as well. And uh, just for some background, Natasha Crane, uh, she's one of my favorite apologists, and she's Mm. written a series of books. To teach kids to, to really have conversations, parents have conversations with their kids about faith, important conversations like how do we know God exists? Um, um, would a good God really send people to hell? All of these apologetics type questions. Um, doesn't science disprove Christianity? All the, all these type of questions that that youth will encounter in public school and especially as they go off to college and really have their Christian faith challenged. So she wanted to prepare parents to equip their kids to have these conversations and to really share the evidence for Christianity um, with their children um, while their children are still in the home before they go off into the secular institutions and get bombarded, um, you know, with the secularism and the atheism and and all of the other attacks on the Christian faith they'll encounter out there. And so, um, so I really appreciate Natasha Crane uh, for that reason, because of, of my heart for apologetics and especially equipping youth to be prepared for the challenges uh, they will face to their faith. But anyway, so she was writing this article. She was feeling fatigue about um, mm-hmm. people arguing about the quarantine, Christians, non-Christians, basically everyone. And she made this comment, our culture has largely lost the ability to disagree well. I love that sentence. And then she, yes. Mm-hmm. And it, she includes Christians in that, and she, she said it stems from an inability to have disagreements at the right level. So what her article brought out is um, she explained something she called the, I guess it's the FIA pyramid, the FIA pyramid. And what that is, is she would say that whenever we have a disagreement about anything at all, um, there's a, three different levels that 
disagreement could occur at. The first level is the area of, of facts. What are the basic facts? Um, so in the case of coronavirus, for example, maybe the area of disagreement is, is about how many deaths there have been from COVID-19. Maybe that's the area of disagreement. There's another level of disagreement, which is the interpretation of the facts. Mm-hmm. And in, in that case, for example, maybe people would would say, okay, we agree on the number of deaths, but I don't think that's very many deaths compared to like something like the flu. And, and where someone else might go, no, that's actually a lot of deaths. <laughs> um, and so that's at the level of interpretation. And then the third level is the application of the interpretations. And that can be both personal application or, or at the policy, uh, policy applications. And so, for example, in this case, um, you might agree on how many deaths there have been. You might agree that that is a lot or that that's not a lot of deaths. Um, and, but you might disagree on whether or not a quarantine is warranted for yes. everyone to save lives. Right. And so what she really encourages people to do when to disagree better is, one, to ask good questions to determine where the disagreement lies exactly. Are you disagreeing about a fact, an interpretation of the fact, or an application of that interpretation? And then from there, she says, step two, go on and and make sure you engage in appropriate conversation for the level where the disagreement lies. So, for example, if you disagree about the facts, if if you disagree about how many deaths there have been, then you need to start there. And maybe your discussion will center around what are good data sources? Who do you trust? Uh, Why do you trust? them for your data and and so you need to make sure that you're focusing your your disagreement at the same level or else you're just going to keep talking back at, at you know back across each other and and won't um ever come to any agreement about anything and that opens and up a whole nother can <laughs> when you're talking about sources because there's so many mm-hmm. different sources out there holly we hold that thought oh. we've got to take a break and i do want to spend more time on this facts the interpretations of facts, and then applications of interpretations. Uh, And more on this article and more with Holly Pivik when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. On the line, Holly Pivik, Spirit of Error. She writes a lot and has done tons of research on the NAR And in a minute, we're going to get into uh, their response to the coronavirus, how uh, in ways they have redefined prayer and uh, talk a little bit about Bethel Church and Redding, California and their influence. But we're talking about a very good article right here about um, really disagreeing. And it shows a lack of the fruit of the Spirit on, on the part of some Christians, and myself included. I've jumped into conversations online and hit post or send uh, a little quicker than what I thought I should have, but it, it's called How to Disagree Better about COVID-19 and Conspiracy Theories. Um, Holly, continue your thoughts. You may want to sum up what we just shared. I think it's so important to talk about what she explained being the FIA or FIA pyramid. Right. So what Natasha Crane says is, you know, whenever there's any disagreement, first you have to determine where the disagreement lies. Are you disagreeing over facts? Or, or is it over interpretation of facts, or is it application of interpretations? And then when you identify where that disagreement lies, then you can engage in an appropriate conversation for the level where the disagreement lies. Um, and and then the third point that, that we didn't quite get to before the break she makes is simply don't be a jerk. Don't <laughs> attack people or groups of people, but mm. she says, seek understanding and respond with love and humility. And um, and then one thing I wanted to add to her her article that I think is, is important is to realize when it comes to theological matters, not every theological error is as serious as others. And Good so we point. have to be careful not to treat every difference in belief as if you don't believe this way, then you're outside the Christian faith. Um, so, for example, some matters of our faith are essential. The, the belief that salvation is by grace through faith or or the fact that God is triune, these are essential matters. If you don't believe these things, you are outside the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. But other matters are important. They're not essential, maybe, but they're important. Um, so, for example, um, what we'll talk about later about the NER, their claim that all people in churches must submit to governing apostles and prophets, or else they're outside of God's will. 
that's some serious false teaching that can be really damaging, even mm-hmm. though it might not fall into the matter of essential doctrine. And so it's something to realize. And then some some areas of the theological difference are more trivial. For example, what types of music preference do people prefer at a Sunday morning worship service, contemporary or hymns? You know, these mm-hmm. that's that's more trivial. And, the, and the, there's some matters, like, for example, views about the end times that we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, people can disagree about eschatology. That's, that's a fancy word for what their views of the end times. Mm-hmm. But... Um, and and or something like modes of baptism, you know, immersion or, or dip, you know, <laughs> sprinkling or these kind of things. And these could be very important matters. Um, it doesn't mean they're not important, but it they might not be, fall into the line of essential doctrine. Um, and so people need to determine when they're talking about theology, you know, too, how serious of an error is at stake here, and, and make sure they engage at that at that level. Um, when they're having any debate about matters of theology. Excellent point. And um, I want to go back to something that she said in one of the steps on how to disagree better. Ask good questions to determine where the disagreement lies. Most of us know. Here's the problem, Holly. I'm sure you've seen this too, particularly on Facebook or, or wherever, where most of us know where the disagreement lies, but we just want to be heard, right? We, ju- we want our point to be made, and we just want to be heard. Let's go back to this example real quick before we move on of coronavirus deaths. Here's the thing. <laughs> that first of all, we're looking at worldwide. How do you possibly know? First of all, you can't believe anything out of China, pretty much. Um, and then when you're talking about worldwide deaths, we are just trusting a couple sources on these other countries. Okay, maybe they might be accurate. Now let's bring it back to America, Holly, because the big debate is about religious freedom. That's the big debate now, and submitting to governing authorities, which uh, Romans 13 is part of that. Um, The number of deaths, some of us would say that's a lot, 80,000, 90,000. That's a lot, but yes, 80,000 people died from the regular flu a couple years ago in a year. Um, but then it's still a lot. But then you go out to heart disease and cancer and all these others who have, that have hundreds of thousands of deaths per year. And then you go look at abortion. And in perspective, you go, wow, this coronavirus isn't that great in light of these other deaths. But then we have the issue with the some coronavirus deaths have been attributed to COVID-19, and they weren't, and now they're just changing some of the numbers. Holly, let me give you an example. If I, I, let's see, I'm looking for the. Okay, here we go. Just a couple things. Um, county supervisor in San Diego, California, says the city has had six solely coronavirus deaths out of 194 that were reported as such. So now they're the numbers. They're dropping the numbers down. Okay, we understand they had other symptoms and. Um, health issues, and maybe they were older. So they now say six. How about out of the UK, COVID-19 fatalities, it's showing the vast majority had underlying conditions. Um, Colorado has corrected their previously announced COVID-19 death count, reflecting 24% fewer fatalities than originally thought. So, So now we've got this debate, Holly, about the numbers changing because they were falsely attributed to COVID-19. And so this is just, it can be messy, can't it? Yeah, it sure can. And I think, you know, Christians are in vastly different places. The ones I've encountered in, you know, what (laughs) you put it so nicely about (laughs) the quarantine, (laughs) you know, and, and a lot of it probably has to do with people who feel like they have someone in their own family or a loved one who, who they think is um, really at risk elderly yes. um, with this virus. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's, there definitely is <laughs> wide, wide range of perspectives, even among Christians about, about this issue. So engage in appropriate conversation. And as Christians, the, uh, another reminder, um, it may be redundant, but the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what's that last one that's mentioned there? Self-control. Um, and I'm pointing the finger back at myself, too. I'm not pointing at anybody else. I'm just saying, you know what, sometimes I just share my thoughts first and then think about how I could have done it better. 
afterwards. Well, let's try to prevent that jump to be heard or jump to respond to someone when they type something on a post or whatever. Holly, final thoughts on this before we get into the uh, NAR and the antidote, their antidote to coronavirus. Yeah, I just, you know, I think of um, in Scripture we're told to um, be quick to to um, listen and, and slow to speak, and mm. <laughs> that's hard. Yes. That's hard for everyone. Um, and but it really is comes back to what you said. I think about the fruit of the spirit and and being under the control and influence of the Holy Spirit, and to the degree that we're having trouble. Um, being quick to listen and, and um, slow to speak, uh, you know, is, is probably a sign to us um, to what degree of influence of, of the Holy Spirit's control we're under. And it might be a, a flag to look at if, if we're having problems with that and, and an area we need to, to pray about and, and focus on making sure we are, are under the control of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's make a transition now um, to what we talked about touched on earlier about the NAR, uh, New Apostolic Reformation. You've done extensive research on that. In fact, uh, you're the co-author of the book, A New Apostolic Reformation, A Biblical Response to a Worldwide Movement. It is worldwide. It is hugely influential. And one of the main churches, of course, is Bethel in Redding, California. Holly, they've had some very curious responses to the coronavirus when it comes to how to pray about it, but also their healing ministry seems to have been now kind of taken a back seat when you would think if they were to be accurate in what they teach, they should be out there laying hands and and healing people and going into hospitals and whatever else. But we understand, you know, why they don't. I'd love for you to just share whatever points you want to make about their prayer uh, approach to this, maybe Psalm 91. Go wherever the Lord leads you. Yeah, well, right, and, and just to back up quickly, uh, maybe for your listeners who don't know what NAR is, or that stands for New Apostolic Reformation, and this global movement basically teaches that all Christians, all churches, must submit to the authority of apostles and prophets, uh, contemporary apostles and prophets, who they they believe are supposed to govern churches, so even pastors of churches, elders of churches, are to come under the authority of these apostles and prophets. And these apostles and prophets claim to be bringing new critical revelation that the church needs um, in order to set up God's kingdom on earth. And and these revelations will allow them to develop Christians to develop miraculous powers um, to bring God's kingdom to earth, and also to cast out these um, kind of like super demons that, that they believe are ruling over different geographical regions of the earth. That that. By receiving their revelations, uh, Christians will learn how to take part in casting out these territorial spirits. Um, and, and through these things, Christians, the Church, can rise up and set up God's physical kingdom on earth prior to Christ's return. Wow. Um, at least to a large extent. And and so this this movement, the, the beliefs will sound really um, kind of crazy to some Christians who aren't familiar with this movement, but it's made significant inroads mm-hmm. into um, many Pentecostal charismatic churches. Their, their teachings are not historic Pentecostal charismatic teaching. They, what they're not, they're not saying, any of our people are not saying that simply that we believe there's a gift of prophecy or there's a gift of speaking in tongues or a gift for healing today, like Pentecostals and charismatics would historically believe. What they're saying is that we believe that there are apostles and prophets today who have comparable levels of authority and functions to the biblical prophets and Christ apostles. Wow. And, um, or, or even even more authority, um, arguably. Um, they don't say that, but it, in, in effect, that's what, how it works out in their teaching. And so, and so this is something that goes way beyond uh, classic Pentecostal mm-hmm. uh, charismatic belief. And even many Pentecostals and charismatics are very concerned about these teachings for these reasons. But um, so so these teachings have made inroads um, into many churches, even outside of Pentecostal and Charismatic churches now, because of Bethel music, which is very popular, um, and and because the leaders of this movement, the apostles like Bill Johnson, are speaking at conferences 
that um, are aimed at, at mainstream evangelical Christians, like at the recent Q uh, conference. Uh, so he was he shared a platform with um, mainstream Christians like Priscilla Schreier and uh, Francis Chan and Tim Keller. And, and so because of these things, of these conferences, of this music, of through social media, all these things, these apostles and prophets have really been mainstreaming their teachings. And, um, and, and once you know what to look out for, you'll start, start seeing them maybe even creeping into your own, your own conservative churches, um, and non-denominational churches and, and even some traditional denominations, like even Baptist churches and things like that have been seeing these teachings make inroads. But one distinctive teaching in this movement is their, is their, um, redefinition of prayer, so historically, Christians would believe that prayer is making requests of God. Mm-hmm. You know, you ask him, you ask him to please, will you heal, you know, my my child of this disease? That's a traditional view of prayer, supplication or petition. But in this movement, they, many of the the leaders in this movement would teach that 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 type of prayer is not as effective. Um, it's not as high level of prayer as another type of prayer that they refer to as either binding and loosing prayer, or they refer to it as making declarations. And the idea is that, that when you make a declaration, you declare that God will kill a person, or you declare that God will um, give financial um, blessings to someone, and that you're using the authority that they believe God has given you to speak in, in reality, to create reality with your spoken words, much mm-hmm. in the same way that God created in Genesis when he spoke. And so we can create or alter reality with our spoken words, with our declarations. Um, and so the leaders in the NER have been teaching that the way to end coronavirus is for Christians uh, globally to be making declarations against coronavirus. Um that will put an end to coronavirus. And so this is a very different understanding of prayer as, as not asking God to do something, but declaring that basically he will do something. Wow. And, um, and so this kind of, is something we've seen from Bethel Church in Reading, from Cindy Jacobs, she's a leading mm-hmm. prophet in this movement, from many of the leading prophets and apostles in this movement have been saying this is the key to um, ending coronavirus. Can We need to take another break, but when we come back, uh, Holly, can you please explain, I, I think there's, there's two things we need to touch on when we come back, Psalm 91 and the correct use of that, because that's a psalm of protection, right? Um, they have used that, and that's part of their general response to COVID-19, plus some of the prophecies NAR leaders have given um, some of them have been vague, so I understand that they, they do that. They don't want to be too specific. But some, um, I believe you say that they have failed. Some of their pro- pro- prophecies did not come to pass. And the Bible tells us that's a sign of a false teacher or a false prophet. So more with Holly Pivik when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. On the line from Fairbanks, Alaska, Holly Pivik, Spirit of Error. We are discussing the reaction by some in the NAR to the coronavirus and how some things just Ooh, it kind of gives those of us who are watching that are Christian and are discerning uh, just a, a bad taste in our mouth because it's a reflection of the true church, but they're not doing this accurately. Um, tell us, Holly, how they have kind of redefined prayer a little bit in light of, you mentioned the Lord's Prayer, but also Psalm 91 and how they may have taken that out of context. Yes, yeah, so one one thing that many NAR leaders um, have been saying is that Christians need to decree, or decree is another word, type of declaration, basically. So the believers need to de- decree or declare um, Psalm 91. And Psalm 91, for those who don't know, um, basically is, is there's, there's, there are a couple lines in it that seem, that address plagues. So, Mm -hmm. for instance, it says, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. And it's it's that line there about no plague coming near your tent that leaders in this movement would say, you need to declare 
that as a promise that coronavirus will not come near you, that it will not affect you. And then that's the key to, um, to you know, coming against coronavirus. And um, so the, the problem is, is um, that when they make a decree or a declaration based on, on some, this verse in Psalm 91, they're using it in a name and claim it, magical worldview type mm-hmm. of way. Um, it seems like an attempt to manipulate God if someone thinks that just merely by speaking certain words, they're somehow guaranteed protection by God from from coronavirus or, or from any troubles in this life. Um, and so um, I talk in my, my blog post about there is a right way to pray Psalm 91, and that's to believe the words of the psalm, to have a peaceful confidence in God and trust in Him to protect us as we go about doing His will. But we have to realize, too, that if we do get sick or experience some other type of, of trial, we still have peace and trust that God has greater purpose for that, for allowing us to get sick or to have that trial. And we, we're going to trust in His love and His wisdom um, still. And so the mistake is, is thinking that, you know, it can be used like an amulet or, or some kind of like magical charm or, or something like that to that it's a promise that all believers will not get coronavirus. And, and that is definitely a misuse of that psalm. So, Psalm, uh, what I'm hearing you say is Psalm 91 is uh, really, as all of Scripture, it falls under God's authority and His sovereignty. And there are some promises in there, the statements made that are very encouraging. Um, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, it says a little later on that... Um, because he has loved me, I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he's known my name. He will call upon me. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. And then the very last verse, with a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. If someone doesn't get healed of coronavirus or if someone doesn't live a long life, in their interpretation, did their faith fail? Did God fail? Did this not apply to them? How would you respond to someone uh, asking those questions, Holly? Well, well, first of all, what someone like Bill Johnson, apostle, the most influential apostle in the United States, uh, he's at Bethel Church in Reading, what he would say is that it's definitely not, definitely not God who has failed. So if you're, if you're decreeing or declaring Psalm 91 and you get sick with coronavirus, then it's definitely not God. So the fault lies with the person. Now, he wouldn't say it that baldly. Um, but that's an implication of the teaching. And that's why a lot of people who, who've embraced NAR beliefs, if they do get sick, if they, if it's someone they do love dies of a sickness, they really, um, despair in their faith oftentimes because, uh, they, they blame themselves, um, <laughs> for, for getting sick or for mm. that person dying. Um, so, but, but, you know, according to a biblical understanding of Psalm 91, um, you know, we, we need, we need to realize that we need to trust God, uh, whatever he decides, whether he allows us to get sick or not, that like Ravi, Ravi expressed in, in that beautiful, um, you know, statement you read earlier to that he, yeah. he shared two months before he died, he showed a real trust in God that if God allowed, you know, would allow him to die, that, um, he still had trust in God. And, and that's what we're supposed to have. And, one thing I wanted to mention is that Satan actually misused Psalm 91. That's right. He uh, tempted Jesus to jump off the temple in Matthew 4. Um, Jesus didn't deny that God promised protection, but he pointed out that Satan was misusing Scripture because he wasn't taking all of it into account. And that's wow. in Matthew 4, 7 there. So we must follow Jesus as an example and not claim isolated passages of Scripture for ourselves without taking into account what the Bible teaches us in other places. And we know from other places in Scripture, believers can get sick. The Apostle Paul talked about when he got sick in Galatians 4.13 one time. Um, you know, we know Job, we know many examples in Scripture of, of believers getting sick and God allowing that to happen. And even, you know, Jesus being allowed to, to die on the cross. Um, but, but we know from Romans that God has a bigger purpose when he does allow trials and suffering mm-hmm. into our lives, and it's ultimately for our good. 
Boy, I love the point you made, Holly, about that temptation of Jesus of Satan to, toward Jesus when he Satan quoted Satan knows scripture. He yanks it out of context and rips it out of its original intent and meaning. But he knows that he quoted uh, Psalm ninety-one verse twelve that the angels would uh, bear you up in their hands that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And he tempted Jesus with that. And Jesus did not deny God's power or ability to prevent that from happening, but that he tempted G- Jesus to do something that wasn't God's will, to throw himself down. And Jesus didn't do right. it. And Jesus said, it is right. written. Mm-hmm. So you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And mm-hmm. that that's from elsewhere in Scripture. So Satan was taking an isolated verse and not taking all of Scripture into account. And that's what the word faith does, and particularly when it comes to the subject of healing. They take that out of Scripture sometimes, not just that verse, but take these ideas of healing and declarations out of Scripture, and, and it just really confuses a lot of people. Um, Holly, what, you mentioned the Lord's Prayer, too. Did I, um, I think you sent in, in your email to me um, yesterday, you mentioned that, too. Did they... Is that the declaration part? Is there authority? They're taking authority in certain ways which they shouldn't? Right. So so Bill Johnson, this apostle at Bethel Church in Reading, he has a peculiar understanding of the Lord's Prayer, and he basically says it teaches Christians that the, the way they bring heaven to earth or, or the way they, they bring God's kingdom to earth is by making verbal declarations that somehow release God's miraculous power so in other words, the Lord's Prayer teaches them to use their spoken words to release blessings, physical healing, financial prosperity, healthy relationships. Of course. And so what he teaches that Christians have misunderstood the primary purpose of this prayer. This isn't these aren't humble petitions that we a request that we make of God, you know, give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Rather, these are, according to him, dec- declarations that we're supposed to make. It's it's a model. The Lord's Prayer is a battle plan for bringing God's kingdom to earth, and it models declarative prayer. Um, we make these declarations that authorize God to act in the affairs of the world. And that's what he refers to this type of prayer as binding and loosing prayer, like, like I mentioned earlier. Um, but this is a real revisionist understanding of the Lord's Prayer um, throughout the history of the Church. Uh, never has the Lord's Prayer been understood as as modeling, uh, making declarations. Um, throughout the history of the Church, from the very beginning, the Lord's Prayer has always been seen in terms of making humble requests of God. Um, and so, so this is really revisionist and... Um, and uh, he's taken, basically, Johnson has taken one of the most beloved passages of all of Scripture um, and, and really uh, twisted uh, the interpretation of that uh, to serve the purposes of NAR doctrine. Mm. This is so concerning, and it just sends such a wrong message. But am I oversimplifying part of the problem in saying that a lot of this comes down to their misinterpretation of the authority to the church, the authority of the church, similar to the Catholic Church and uh, Peter, you know, and the early church leaders, is is that correct? And what the NIR is doing in part? Well, the issue. So they would say that apostles and, and prophets have present day apostles and prophets uh, like Bill Johnson have been given authority from God to bring critical revelation that the church must have in order to complete the Great Commission. And the Great Commission, they've also redefined. Not it's not about taking the gospel of salvation to the ends of the earth. The Great Commission is about bringing God's physical kingdom to earth, taking dominion of nations. And um, and so um, so there is a real issue with over authority. It's, it's the authority that they claim that the apostles and prophets have been given and that all other Christians and churches must come under that authority. Um, and, and so it really does come down to an issue of false, false claims of authority that cannot mm-hmm. be supported by Scripture. Right, and there's a, you hear a lot of this. I understand how it's seeping into some uh, evangelical churches or denominations in the idea of bringing the kingdom, building the kingdom now here on earth, and uh, that's, that's really not biblical, because Je- the, Jesus made it very clear the kingdom is coming, but it is a future coming kingdom. 
And uh, we're trying to, when, when we say we can do something now, or then, then we're relying on our strength, our power, our authority, and that's dangerous. Right, right. And so the NAR doctrine is really dominionist. It's, it's the idea that Christians must take dominion of the earth, and that the way they can do so is through the strategies that are, are being revealed by the apostles and prophets, strategies such as the Seven Mountain Mandate, the, a revelation that NAR prophets claim they receive, that, that God has showed that the way to take dominion of the earth is by taking control of the seven major societal institutions, like media, right. government, education, you know, these, these major institutions. And, and they would say that demonic principalities are ruling these institutions, and only the apostles have the authority to cast out those demons that are ruling over, like, say, the institution of media. Once that's ca- that principality, that demon is cast out, then Christians can take control of that institution, the apostles can rise to the top, and they can set up God's kingdom through that institution. And and so they really believe that that God has that the Bible promises that there'll be this great end time revival where a billion souls will come into the kingdom and and convert to belief in Christ. Entire nations will convert to belief in Christ. And the way that will be done is is people will see these amazing miracles that that the apostles and prophets and their followers are working, even greater miracles than Jesus worked. Mm. And they'll be so at such an awe and, and wonder at these miracles that entire nations will convert to Christ. So it'll be this massive end-time revival, and a large portion of the world population will actually turn to Christ prior to Christ's return and set up his kingdom. So these are core NAR doctrines. Yes, and we run out of time, Holly, but we do want to emphasize that Christians can and should influence all these areas these pillars, so to speak, of culture. We should be influential in, in education and in government and, you know, whatever, politics and the entertain Hollywood, but not to take it over or take authority or dominion. Um, Holly Pivik, we ran out of time. That went by awfully fast, but I want to direct people to your website, spiritoferor.org. We'll put that link in today's podcast notes along with the articles we discussed. Holly, thank you so much for being with us, and uh, God bless you. Keep you safe and keep fighting the good fight of faith. Thank you. You too, David. All right. Thanks, Holly. Bye-bye. When we come back, we'll uh, let you know about our guests the rest of the week. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Tomorrow you'll hear from Don Vino, Midwest Christian Outreach. Thursday we will be exposing the darkness in the media and the news, uh, media malpractice, And Friday, Pastor Chris Quintana, always bold about sharing his thoughts on what's happening in our country, culture, and the church. Thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.